0: Aren't we so blessed that even though God is so holy, the Word tells us that in the Old Testament, no one could be in the presence of God and live. Because He is so holy. He is so worthy. He is so majestic. But yet, somehow, He made a way where there seems to be no way. And that vast separation that kept us apart was brought together by the sacrifice of one, and that is Jesus. And now the word tells us that we are seated in heavenly places. Not only that, we are now co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you that you have made a way. (laughs) Hallelujah. I will forever be thankful. I will forever be so, so grateful at the fact that we get to be in the very presence of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you know what? One of the things that I also think about is the alternative. Because if we cannot be in the presence of God, that means that there is complete, complete separation from God. And you see, um, the word tells us that that the Lord um, had different plans for us, right? In, in the book of Genesis, we see that God gave us a commandment, not us, but he gave Adam and Eve a commandment to be fruitful and multiply to populate the earth to fill it with his presence this was supposed to be the start of communities of families and everything there was never meant to be death we were never meant to experience death and the separation of between us and God those of us that have experienced loss, those of us that have either experienced loss through the loss of a loved one, or maybe you are here and you lost a child. You know the pain and the anguish that we go uh, you know, under when we have that, that loss, that great loss. But that doesn't compare anything to the anguish that we would feel if we were completely separated from the Lord. And from our loved ones for all eternity. But he made a way. And you know what? God is making a way for all those that are lost. All those that are dying. And you know who is part of that answer? You are. You are. You are. You are. are. We are all part of the answer that God has put and set for for us. So today I'm just going to be so thankful that even though we don't deserve to be in His presence, we are here and He hears us. His word tells us that He inclines His ear towards us and that He hears us every time that we call His name, every time that we say, Daddy, I need your help. He is not just a distant God. He is not just a father. He is our daddy. You know, and and when I pray, you often hear me say daddy, because that's what he is. I don't have to fear him. I don't have to be afraid of him. I I just have to run to him and say, daddy, daddy, protect me, provide for me. Be there for me. Comfort me. Deliver me. Love me. And that is the free gift of salvation. So family, we have a problem. And the problem is, is that just as there is a heaven, just as, As there is a place of no pain and suffering, there is also a place of torment and anguish. We have a problem. And God has commissioned you and I to solve it. The question is, what are we going to do? about it what are we going to do about it and that's what I want to go ahead and talk to you about so I'm going to go ahead and pray and go, go ahead and release you to have a seat and I'm just going to pray that just the presence of the Lord is just going to empower us to do the work that he has called us to do heavenly father daddy I just thank you that you are here today And that we get the honor to be in your presence, Lord. And Father, I pray that today we will not waste the opportunity, the privilege to be in front of royalty. To be in front of you. That now that we have an audience with the King, that we will not waste that time. That not only... Can we go ahead and put on. Uh, give you the uh, heaviness of our heart. The different things that are weighing on us. But then we may also listen. To what it is. That you want us to do. So today father I just pray daddy. That you will just remove. Any hindrance Lord. That is keeping us. From clearly and distinctly. Listening to your voice. But let us not just be. Hearers of the word, let us be doers of it, Father. So I just thank you, Daddy, that today we are being empowered by you to do your work. We thank you, Daddy. We give you all praise, all honor, all glory. And we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Family, I'm so uh, so so happy and so blessed to be here. Uh, Pastor Jim, thank you so much for allowing me to uh, minister the word. Uh, Any time that uh, that I get this opportunity, it's a, it's, it, I count it as a uh, as a privilege because uh, to be uh, an ambassador for the Lord, uh, to be uh, to be used as his as his mouthpiece per se, um, is definitely uh, an honor and a blessing. So this whole, uh, for the last month or so, we have been on this series, Depopulating Hell. And the purpose of this teaching is not only to teach you all about the reality of hell, but hopefully also being able to encourage you to help us to depopulate hell. Our main text has been from Luke, the 16th chapter. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's been so many different takeaways from this particular passage. We see that there is a contrasting lives uh, with the parable highlights, that, that we see the, the contrast between the rich man's lifestyle, and we also see that Lazarus was in a poor place, and he was in a very bad position. But despite his wealth, the rich man does not show any compassion or assistance to Lazarus, right? So we see the contrast of the different lives. The second thing that we hear, see here is that there is death and there is the afterlife. Both the rich men and Lazarus die and angels carry Lazarus to Abraham's side, often interpreted as heaven, where he's comforted and finds solace. The rich man, on the other hand, ends up, In Hades, a place of torment and suffering. And then there's a conversation that happens from two different realms, right? The word tells us from two different chasms. And and what we see here is is that the rich man looks up and sees Abraham with Lazarus by his side. He pleads with Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and cool his tongue and as he is in agony from the flames, Abraham explains that a great chasm separates them and that their fates have already been determined. And see, that's, that's the sad part. I know that depending on the, your, your type of religious background and where you're grown, uh, grown up in, and, and those of us that were raised Catholic, there's that belief of being in purgatory, meaning that if you do enough prayers and enough deeds or maybe, you know, pay for uh, certain things, your loved ones may actually make it out of hell, right? That, you know, we're, we're in this place of lingo that we're not in hell or we're not in, 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 in heaven and that if you do enough prayers or do something, your loved ones may actually make it into heaven. But the reality is this, is this, the word teaches us that to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And the reality is this, is this that once we're not here, we're in one of two places. That's it. There, there, there is no, no in between, there is no other place. And what I wanna focus on here is, I'm gonna go ahead and jump to uh, Luke, the 16th chapter. I'm gonna let's take a look at verse uh, 27 that says, Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophet, prophets have warned them, your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn from God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And today, one of the things that I want to focus is in this last part. The request for a warning. And I can just imagine how maybe Some of your relatives or some of your friends or, unfortunately, some of your loved ones that may, unfortunately, find themselves in hell. And I know that oftentimes when we're in church, we don't want to talk about, you know, people going to hell. Um, Oftentimes when somebody passes away, what do we say? They're in a better place. Ah! know about you, but I, I don't know if uh, being in hell is a better place than being the, uh, the torment that we are living in here, then I can guarantee you here that your worst day on earth doesn't compare to a second in hell. So I know that oftentimes we say that, right, we are in a better place and we are focusing on that. And and I can even imagine what your, unfortunately, what what our loved ones or friends are in hell and they're thinking, I just wish that there would be someone that could warn them, someone that can speak truth to them, someone that can talk to them about the living hope that we can find in Christ Jesus, we have a problem and we need your help. Would you help? Would you listen to the voice of perhaps those people that are right now in hell saying, please help my loved one, please help my child, please help my daughter, please help them. And again, oftentimes we make Christianity all about the blessings. We, we make it all about how our life is going to be more beautiful and everything else. And that all is true. I can tell you that I am living a better life now than I, than I could have been living had I not accepted Jesus Christ 22 years ago. Amen? But the reality is this. is that there is, there is still suffering in this world, and it is up to you and I to do something about it. It is up to you and I to do something about it. So the choice is ours. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? See, from the beginning of time, God's purpose was for us to inhabit this earth. Right, Genesis 121 says Then God blessed them And God said to them Be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it He intended for us To do what? To populate the earth And at this time There was no separation Between God and man But then came the fall of man And with this separation came one thing, death. The reality of death came to us for the very first time. Could you guys imagine what it would have been like if there wouldn't have been the fall of man? Would you, could you imagine what it would have been like to really just live a life where we can just be in communion with God and with one another, where there's no division, where there's, there's, there's no killing, where there's no suffering, where there's no sickness. But unfortunately, we're not in that world. But God is calling you and I to be ambassadors, for us to lead, for those that that maybe they they don't know where they're going. You You know, it's like the blind leading the blind. And those of us that have seen the light can lead them into the place of salvation. Amen? But God had other plans. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to, be condemned, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe? Do you believe? And what can we do to get other people to get to that place? I am so thankful that God made a way where there seemed to be no way. But unfortunately, that is not the case for everybody. Romans 10, 17 says, Then faith comes by hearing, And hearing by the word of God. Romans 10.14 tells us. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Can I just implore? Can I implore you? For you to be that person that talks to them about him. Can I implore you to be that one person that makes the difference between living a life in hell or living in the very presence of God? So the question is this. How will you answer God's call to depopulate hell? Because that's exactly what we're doing. We are... Depopulating hell. Depopulate means this the condition of having reduced numbers of inhabitants or no inhabitants at all. Depopulation means the action of causing a country or area to have fewer people living in it. Amen. In the, in, the, in the Bible, there are several examples of the populations. Exodus 3, 7, and 10 says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave, dr- slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good, spacious land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hebatites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are opposing them. So go now, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So this is God depopulating Egypt, removing his people, removing people from slavery, and taking them into the promised land. Right? So he sees, he says, I see their suffering. I hear their cry. In the same way God hears our cry, he sees our suffering. And he doesn't want us to stay in that place or go through that place. Amen? Genesis 6 7 says, So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. This is like the second. uh, the, first, the first definition of depopulation, right? The condition of having reduced the numbers or inhabitants. In this particular case, God was looking to depopulate, to clear out the land himself. He wasn't talking about uh, moving them from one place to the other. He was actually meaning, I will take care of them, you know? So he said, I, that I, and I regret that I even made them. Jonah 1, 1 and 2 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So he was ready to once again depopulate Nineveh if, unless they repented. Genesis 11.14 11, um, 11, says, uh, 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 says, Now the earth was corrupting God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth have corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both of them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood and make rooms in it and coat it and pitch it inside and out. So as we see these examples of the population, how did people respond In the first first instance, we're talking about moving people out of Egypt, right? How did Moses reply? Exodus 3.11, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And you know what God said? Don't worry who you are. He said, I am I am more than sufficient. I am more than enough. I am more than powerful. So Moses decided to live a life of luxury. He was living in the palace. He decided to live a life of luxury to do what? To heed the call of the Lord. He said, I, I, I can speak. I, I, I stutter. He says, don't worry about it. I am. I will provide somebody to speak for you. So every situation that we face, we can throw different excuses to God. But if you're willing, God will prepare you. If you're willing, God will prepare you. He will get you ready for such a time as this. So there is no excuses that you're not tall enough. Oh, Michael's not here today. Darn. I prepared that for him, but he's not here. I um, you know that I'm not smart enough, that I'm not talented enough, that I'm not, you name it. God will make a way, and He will say, "I am, <laughs> but I am." Amen. <laughs> In talking to Jonah, saying, "You know, go go preach to Nineveh." How how did Jonah reply? But Jonah ran away. And isn't it very much like us? How many of us have been at the store and uh, and the Holy Spirit prompts something? And we're like, what? Oh, I got to get bread from the other aisle. (laughs) Or you're like, you know, not today, Lord. I'm uh, actually running a little bit uh, short on time. So uh, maybe tomorrow. Not today because I'm a little busy, right? So Jonah ran away. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Teresh. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that point. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sail for terrorists to flee from the Lord. And we all know what happens next, right? Something about a whale. Um, and, and just being in that. See, once again, we may not get on the ship. But we may walk away from what the Lord is saying. Then we move on to the next story. How did Noah answer that call? He answer hebrews 11:7 says by faith noah when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear built an ark to save his family by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith and again i will ask you the same question we are being asked to depopulate hell To move people from one place to another. So the question is, how will you answer God's call to depopulate hell? And you see, I understand that we're all in different seasons of life. I know that some of us are busy with work, or maybe we just have small children, or maybe we're, we have teenagers, or maybe we have a job, or maybe we don't have a job, maybe we're in school, maybe we don't have, you know, we don't, you know we're not going to school, maybe we have a boyfriend, maybe we're hoping for our, a boyfriend or girlfriend. We are all in different seasons of life, and we all have excuses of why we can not do something for the Lord. I understand that we all have challenges, we have obligations, we have limitations. But I believe that God is calling each and every one of us to be vessels that he is able to work through. And I believe that God is calling you, regardless of the season of life where you're at, I believe that God is asking you to lead where you're at. See, in case you don't believe me, I'm wearing a shirt that says, lead where you're at. Because the Lord is saying, I know you have limitations, but I need you to do something for me. I save you for such a time as this. And again, there are people going to hell right now. There are people that are heading for destruction. And yet, we are too busy doing the different things that we do. And we just lose the urgency that God has for us. So I, if, you can, if you can hear the voice of God saying, lead where you are. Don't worry about being perfect. Don't worry about being more equipped. Simply lead where you're at. Simply open up your mouth because he's saying, I am, and I will be more than sufficient for you now. I will be more than sufficient for you tomorrow. I will be more than sufficient at the time that you need me the most. Now, I know that it's not easy. And even the thought of sharing our faith or talking to, body or to someone about our faith kind of gets us a little bit nervous. You know, um, I think a lot of you know that um, uh, I'm a long-distance runner. I like running marathons, and uh, sometimes the night before, a long run, you know, I just get a little nervous, even though I've done it many times. Like, for example, uh, yesterday, I ran at a 17-miler that I needed to run, and just even Thinking of the thought, you know, my stomach gets a little nervous, and then in the mornings, you know, just as I'm getting ready, I got to go to the bathroom like three times. I'm like, man, I got to get ready. And, and, you know, and I know that sometimes, and I can just picture, like the the day before the, the, you know, the Chicago Marathon, I, I normally run the Chicago Marathon. I just get so excited and so nervous. Part of me is just kind of thinking how long and how difficult the 26.2 miles are going to be. And I'm just kind of like getting all nervous and excited. And I know that sometimes when we're just kind of even thinking about sharing our faith, we think that we're going to crap our pants, right? (laughs) We get a little nervous and we're just like, "Ah, I don't know, Lord. I just, I don't know if I know enough scripture i i don't know if theologically i'm going to make sense i don't know if i'm going to be if if they get a little defensive i don't know if i'm going to be able to defend you and then the lord says you don't need to defend me all you got to do is open up your mouth and i believe that the holy spirit when we're in those situations he will tell you what to say right isn't that what what the lord told the the, uh, the disciples said, hey, don't worry about what you're going to say, what you're going to do. Don't worry about anything. Just do it. Just lead where you're at. And again, I'm not asking you, when I'm talking about sharing our faith, I'm not asking you to get like a big speaker and, uh, you know, be in the corner of a of a street corner, and, you know, I just seen some people actually a couple of weeks ago, like downtown Aurora, just being out there. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that. I don't think the Lord's asking you to do that. Unless you're really being convicted by the Lord that you need to do that, then you got to listen and do that. But what I am saying is, is that we need to find opportunities to share Christ with others. This thing is true. You cannot force people to accept God, but you can certainly create an opportunity for them to choose to accept them or reject them. Amen? You can't force them, but you can definitely give them the option. See, nowhere in the Word of God says that it's on you. If you present the gospel and they reject you, is it on you that that they're going to go to hell? No, we just do our job. We just do our job. Have you ever been to a place where you're like, you know, your job is to pass flyers and say, hey, here's a flyer, here's a flyer. And some people take it, some people say no. It's like you get offended for people that don't take it. I'm just giving you like a coupon or something. You know, it's like you're lost kind of thing. So it is not up to us. If people choose not to follow the Lord, that's not on us, that's on them. But what is on us is to create those opportunities to share. Christ with others I have often said that People will not come to know Christ For two reasons Number one They don't know a Christian Or number two They know a Christian <laughs> That maybe not a great example Of Christianity Amen. So number one two the reasons they know a Christian Or they don't know a, Chris, a Christian Which one are you? Which one are you? They don't know you, or they know you. <laughs> the choice is yours. So, how do we do it? Can I just share some very quick practical steps that will hopefully empower you to share your faith? It all starts with one thing. It all starts with mind renewal. Just renewing your mind, right? Right? Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many of you have challenges or difficulties sharing your faith because you just simply don't feel motivated to? How many of you, I mean, I, I'm being serious. How many of you are like, you know what, I'm not sharing my faith. I'm just not motivated, or as our kids would say, I don't feel like it. <laughs> you know, I'm just not motivated. I, I don't feel like it. I think the majority of us don't share our faith for that reason. Let's be honest, right? Sometimes you're just like, you're worried and concerns with the troubles of life, with the da- daily cares of the world, and everything else that's happening in your world. You're like, you know what, I'm just... I don't got time for that mess. I got enough problems of my own. I, I don't even want to touch that. But what if I told you that you don't need motivation to, to share Christ with others? What you need is discipline. I'll say it again for those in the back. <laughs> you don't need motivation to share Christ with others. What you need... Is discipline. See, discipline often involves creating a consistent routine or habit, regardless of whether you feel motivated at any given moment. And see, by changing our habits, we can begin the process of renewing our mind. But see, the problem is that oftentimes we just get in the same rod and we do the same thing over and over and over. Did you know that 40% of the activities that you do on a daily basis, you do those automatically? Those are just daily habits. But what that tells me is that you still have 60% to step out of that box. What if sharing Christ with others would start falling as part of the 40%? What if? What if? But one of the things that it's also important to note that motivation and discipline can complement each other, right? Sometimes you've you got to work them. While discipline can help you to take the action even when you're not feeling motivated, motivation can provide the emotional drive and enthusiasm that makes your efforts more effective and impactful. And when we're able to strike a balance between the two, then it makes it so much easier. And so much joyful for us to be able to share the gospel with others. Again, you know, researchers um, do tell us that, again, habits account for 40% of our behaviors in any given days. You know, for example, I'm pretty disciplined in many different things. Every morning when I wake up, I don't know, maybe I'm either disciplined or my wife has, has taught me right you know so every morning you know um, when I get up and get out of the shower and I have the same routine we have a drawer we have the q-tips I pull one out in my ears throw it out put the lid back on there grab the deodorant right out of the drawer apply it put it right back down there then I take off my hair um, products right I take them out put them on the table get the hair dryer go to town get everything ready and then I put everything back By the time I'm done, I'm like a ninja. You wouldn't even know I was in the bathroom. My wife is not clapping, by the way. (laughs) Um, But but anyway, so the reason why I'm saying that is, is that oftentimes we can become very disciplined. We just do things automatically, right? We just take care of those things. Wouldn't it be great if we just did that as part of who we are, as part of sharing our faith? You know, and then oftentimes I see people that that became such a part of who they were. Uh, for example, um, uh, Grandma Becker, um, Pastor Jamin's grandmother, she used to be so great about, you know, anytime they would go to breakfast with her or lunch after church, you, you know, you go to Riverview, it would take her a while to get from the door to her seat. And there's Grandpa GE just kind of holding her arm, just kind of like smiling. Because like, she would stop almost at every table just Showing love to other people and just showing different things. And even, even when, um, you know, when she, you know, uh, dealing with you know, Alzheimer's and, and, and whatnot, even at that time it was just so engraved and part of, her, of who she was that she might have not known who you were, but she could certainly say a good word to you. And that became what? That was part of her discipline. That was part of her habits. That's something that she developed over time that it just became second nature to her. In his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear presents the four laws of behavior change, right? And the four laws of behavior change are simple set of rules that, can, uh, that we can use to build better habits. For example, there's always a cue. So in, 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 in creating habits, there's what you call a cue, a craving, a response, and a reward. So if you want to create uh, new habits, you've got to make it obvious, you know, the cue, you've got to make it obvious. Yeah, you have a craving, you got to make it attractive. Uh, for the response, you got to make it easy. And for the reward, you got to make it satisfying. And again, by changing our habits, we can begin the process of renewing, of renewing our minds. So uh, here are a few steps that we can take in creating new habits. But not only that, but taking some very practical steps in sharing our faith. Step number one. We need to cultivate a strong personal relationship with God. Luke 10:27 says, Love your neighbor, your God, and, and all of your heart. I'm sorry, love the Lord your God. Not your, not your neighbor, never mind. Uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. See, in order for us to have a strong personal relationship with God, it starts with consistency. And discipline helps to share your beliefs consistently, even on days when you might not particularly feel motivated. But making it a habit, you ensure that you're consistently reaching out and engaging others about your faith. So how do you go about creating that relationship with the Lord? Right, we we looked at the first at the first step is you know you gotta have a cue you gotta make it obvious right you gotta make it so easy so that you can not say no. Some people may say, "Man, I really wish the willpower to do so." Right, like for example, people often tell me, it's "Like, man, I wish I had the willpower to run long distance." Well, I wish so too. I, I just created a discipline, and now it becomes easy. A lot of my runs that I'm doing now. There's, you know, I get out of work and I'm like, oh man, I got to do, you know, four miles. Oh man, I got to do eight miles today. I'm already had a long day. And then the first couple miles are rough. But then I'm just like, man, I really like running. <laughs> and I just enjoy it and everything else. But you know what gets me going? It's just the discipline to start. The discipline to run that first, make that first step. The discipline to run that first quarter mile, to make it to half, to make it to a mile, and then just letting your mind know that it's okay, I'm all right. My hip is really not, not sounding or making a clicking now. I'm just kidding. It doesn't anymore. But it did. <laughs> um, so again, you got, by making it a heaven, you ensure that you're consistently reaching out, engaging with others about your faith. But again, you got to make it obvious, right? Uh, willpower is like a muscle. It gets fatigued as you use it throughout the day, right? Just like when we come to church and we have an awesome church experience, right? We get all emotional. We're like, oh, yes, Lord, I will do everything for you and everything else. Then Monday comes around and then you're kind of like dipping on that on that curve. And, and then Wednesday, Wednesday service comes around, and you're like, yes, Lord, I will answer the call. And then Thursday and Friday come around and you're like, dipping down and you're like okay so then now we have this wave that there's no consistency with the walk what the walk with our lord so how do we how do we fix that right how do how do we how do we fix that we solve the problem by creating new habits that are easy for us to stick to say for example you're like man i want to be doing 50 push-ups a day how likely is it that you're going to do maybe say you know what This week, every day, I'm going to do five push-ups. So you start there. You create that habit. And maybe for three weeks, you do five push-ups. And you're like, you know what? I feel like I can do a little bit more. And you go there. The problem with us as it pertains to growing a relationship with the Lord is that we make it too difficult, right? We're like, you know, we're like, okay, we come to church. We get convicted that we got to get our words. Like, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to read the word for 30 minutes. And you can even open the Bible, (laughs) So what about if we basically, instead of saying, I'm going to read the Word for 30 minutes, what if we just say, you know what, I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures today. And then you just make that a consistent habit. Every day, you open up your Bible, you read a couple of scriptures, and as you do that, the Holy Spirit starts getting a hold of you. And now a couple of scriptures will become a chapter, and maybe a chapter will become a book. And now next thing you know, you start creating uh, that consistency. You know, I, I love the consistency that my bride has with um, just, just getting to her in, into the Word. I, I love in the mornings when I, you know, when I wake up, oftentimes she is up earlier before me and she's sitting at our desk. She's already got her, her Word out and she's highlighting stuff and she's just created, created that. But I, I am sure that if she basically said, well, I'm going to go ahead and do this for two hours, is it going to happen? Probably not. What about consistency in prayer? Oftentimes we're like, man, today I'm going to go ahead and pray for, uh, for 30 minutes, right? Well, what if you just pray for three minutes? Create a daily habit of praying for that. You know, it, it, and, and sometimes, you know what, you say, you know what, you know, rather than, than going up to someone and telling them to save Jesus Christ or go to hell, <laughs> what if you just start by saying, hello, how you doing? God bless you. Because I think many of us, what we need is that just being able to show ourselves friendly to other people. Right? What if we just practice that, that, uh, that to just start by saying hello? And maybe you can go by saying, how are you? <laughs> maybe the next step is like, hey, is there anything I can pray for you? And maybe you can start sharing a little bit more as things go along. But you got to start somewhere. Again, make it easy enough that you can get it done without motivation. How many of you need motivation to scroll through your phone? Anybody? How many of you need motivation? How many of you sleep next to your phone? Nobody? How many of you take your phone everywhere you go? How many of you enjoy being on your phone? Anybody? Do you know what I've done? Right now I just made it. Obvious, I made it attractive, I made it easy, and I made it satisfying. What if we did the same thing with our Bibles? make it obvious. Put your Bible right next to your bed, right? You know, put your phone, plug it in somewhere else, set your Bible right next to you. How many of you would take your Bible everywhere when you first got saved? I was one of, I was one of them, and now it's like, I, I, you know, uh, I take my Bible everywhere because I take my backpack everywhere. My Bible's inside my stuff. But, you know, before I'd be like, I would be carrying my Bible, you know, walking into work. I'm like that proud Christian. I'm like, But then I stopped carrying it in, out there because then you know it's like showing up late. I'm like, <laughs> I better, I better put it away. But again, we just gotta make it obvious. We gotta, what if we were to take our Bible everywhere we, we we went? What if we open up our Bibles when we are waiting in line, waiting for something? What if we actually what if we actually enjoyed reading our Bible? What if? You know what would happen? You really would start developing that genuine relationship with the Lord that would be long-lasting. And you know what? As our relationship with God gets stronger, your ability to share Christ with others becomes automatic. Again, examples like Grandma Becker. so automatic for her to just share Christ with other people. It's part of who she is. Step number two. Live a life of love and kindness, right? This is the second part of the scripture of Luke 10:27. Love your neighbor as yourself. We got to have enough concern where our neighbor is going to spend all eternity as a result of maybe them or maybe us not loving God enough or maybe us not being disciplined enough. Why are actions an important expression of our faith? Because faith is often defined not just by our beliefs, but by our actions, right? People, you know, um, people don't know, they, they don't want to know how much you know until they know how much you care, right? We've, we've heard that say a lot. Through love and kindness, we need to provide a way for individuals to tangibly demonstrate their faith in a daily way. That's what we got to do. We got to be able to demonstrate our faith in a daily way. Rather than just simply professing a set of beliefs, when we practice love and kindness, we showcase our commitment to the core tenets of our faith through our daily interactions with others. We just got to care enough. You know, uh, um, a few years back, we used to do this uh, homeless ministry where we used to go right across the street from the Hesit House um, at the park. And we would set up a tent and we would, you know, serve hot dogs or burgers and chips and just making it available for people to come by. We were not necessarily trying to press anything up against anybody and really just making ourselves available. And one of those times, uh, we had a uh, young man that came by, um, you know, he, he was angustic. uh he was going through a difficult, cer- difficult circumstances, and I really just felt prompted by the Lord to really just minister to him. So what I did that day is simply this, I, uh, he, needed, he needed some clothes, I took him to Goodwill, we spent about $20 buying him clothes. He was hungry, so we went to McDonald's. I spent, I don't know, 10 bucks buying him a meal. We sat in my car. I prayed with him. I presented the gospel to him. I wasn't preaching. I wasn't doing anything. This is a young man who was angustic at the time. He said, I, I just don't know. Fast forward, you know, uh, a few weeks, uh, a, a couple months, I you know, just kind of kept touching point with him. And he one day texts me and just lets me know the following. If you can throw the picture up. Um, he said, hi, Beto. It's, his name was Ali. I don't know why I blocked it off here. I thought that I would let you know that I have accepted Jesus. My life has gotten a lot better, too. I have a house and a car, and I also have a job and a Christian girlfriend. Man, he got blessed. <laughs> Even a Christian girlfriend, not just a girlfriend, a Christian one. Thank you for your help when I was in Aurora, homeless and in need. There's another, a second part to the text where he's basically expressing how lost he was. He didn't know about God. And now he had hope. Sometimes it doesn't take much. This is somebody, Angostic, wasn't sure if there was a God or not. He was confused and he came to the place where he came to know the Lord. And again, probably cost me maybe 25 bucks, $26 maybe, to just to show myself friendly, to live a life of love and kindness. Step number three, we have to listen and engage. James 1:19 and 20 says, "'My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It is important to actively listen to others' viewpoints and experiences. Not only that, but also how we treat one another. I have yet to see somebody really come into agreement in a Facebook comment argument. I have, I have yet to see somebody say, you know what, <laughs> after all this nasty exchange, <laughs> you are so right. <laughs> I don't know how I couldn't see it clearly before. I clearly was an idiot and I wasn't <laughs> I have yet to see that. But oftentimes, especially when it comes to the matters of faith, we sit there and we argue Points instead of being able to listen and engage in the proper way. See, when we do this, we got to go through a process where we're building trust, where we're selecting the right environment, right? Well, we're not necessarily choosing a place where it's going to be very um, uh, hostile or anything else. It's got to be a good environment. We've got to practice active listening. We have to have respect for boundaries and share our own perspectives. We have to acknowledge that we are different, right? We've got to know when to pause, when things are getting heated. We've got to know, say, all right, I've got to step back. But at the end of the day, you've got to end on a positive note. See, what may happen here is, is that they may not really fully accept Christ when you're sharing your news, but maybe you just planted a seed. And maybe what you started here, maybe somebody else can water over here. And maybe, just maybe somebody else will harvest them in, in helping them accept the Lord. So when we're doing that, we just got to be able to listen and engage. Step number four, share your personal story. Revelations 12:11 says, and they overcame him, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. People can refute so many different things. You know, for example, I know that um, Aviri has a classmate that she went to school with. And, and you know, he's a hardcore Catholic. And he, geez, he's always like say, You oh, the Bible had more than 66 books. Whatever happened to the other 66 books? Sit there and argue with him. What are you going to do? Are we really going to set his stuff? The one thing that he cannot refute is the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for her life. And for those of us that the Lord has delivered us, for those of us that the Lord has been faithful, for those of us that have been, that stuff, they cannot refute that. For example, just the, the awesome example of testimony that, that, that Kristen and Abdiel had, Right? What are they going to... Can people do... They can have all these different things, but just being able to share your testimony because even though they may disagree with it, they cannot refute or say that that did not happen in your life. Amen? Step number seven, we have to pray for opportunities. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity... We should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. The verse before that, Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you faint not. So we got to ask the Lord for those opportunities for us to be able to work with people. We got to be able to um, uh, pray for the Lord that he will open up those doors Pray for opportunities that we will have godly conversations. Pray for those opportunities where we can share our faith. Pray for those opportunities that even through a difficulty, even through a disagreement, the Lord is going to be able to shine. And then one way or the other, you're going to be able to share your faith. Those of us, a lot of us have so many great opportunities. We're just not not accepting it. You know, I, I love when we have brothers and sisters in the faith that we come to kind of, kind of know because we are just active, um, active doers of the word. You know, a, a, a guy, a brother in, in the Lord that really comes to, uh, to mind is uh, a brother from, uh, from another church. His name is Ryan Henry. And it's funny because Jessica went to high school with them. So he knew, uh, Jessica knew him from high school. Pastor and I got to know him because he came up to us at Chick-fil-A and just started conversing with us, right? Um, Kristen and Sister Sarah met Ryan Henry because one time you guys were at Osco, Sister Sarah was wearing a boot and Ryan Henry got prompted to go up to Sister Sarah and pray for her and everything else. So you see, those are like great examples of people, you know, and it's like, it's, it's like that, right? It's so funny because all of us, kind of know him from different places and different locations because he is such a great example of saying, you know what, I'm going to obey my Lord. I'm going to pray for those opportunities. I'm going to look for those opportunities to pray for the Lord and for the the lost and the dying. In closing, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't know who came up with that, but I can just picture it, right? (laughs) little handbasket with a bunch of people just saying, Ah, I'm going to hell! The world is definitely going to hell in a handbasket. And we as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have been commissioned to save a dying world. And you know what? I get it. We all have seasons, but you know what we also have? We have a commission. I'm going to say it again. We all have seasons, but we also have a commission. Not just a commission, a great commission. Don't wait to be perfect. Lead Where you're at. Don't allow your current circumstances dictate your future. But more importantly, the future of others and where they will end up. We need to have a higher degree, a higher level of urgency to sound the alarm of the reality of hell. I just heard a, 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 or read a report regarding the fires in Hawaii. I just, I just read a report that said that the emergency warning sirens weren't activated to alert the residents of the fire. And I also saw pictures of many of those residents that were just fleeing and jumping in the water to try to save themselves. And as a result, Many couldn't escape and perish simply because the emergency warning sirens were not activated. We are that emergency system warning. We are that warning that should tell people that there is a hell, that there is a place of torment, that there is a place of perish. We are that emergency warning. So let me ask you, what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? We see people being lost every single day, but yet, we have the answer, and yet, we simply don't do enough about it. Oftentimes, it's simply because we're allowing our comfort to keep us in our comfort zone, right? Matthew sixteen twenty six says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Oftentimes, we just want to gain. Oftentimes, we just want to care about ourselves. But right now, this is the time where God is preparing each and every one of us to stand up in Courage. And we need to understand that there are different types of courage. Courage is Latin for heart, right? Which meant to speak one's mind, but telling all one's heart. Today, as a leader that follows Jesus Christ, we need a lot of courage We need to know what we are fighting against. We need different types of courage. Number one is personal courage. This is where we get along with God in prayer and asking the Lord, can I really see the truth? We need public courage where we are in front of people And we're able to speak God's truth. And where we have the courage to declare Christ in front of others. We need interpersonal courage. When we are sitting with our colleagues, our friends, our neighbors. We need to ask ourselves if we are lovingly going to say something to them. If we love someone, truth and grace are necessary so what are we afraid of three reasons why we need to have courage number one so that we can lose our fear number two so that we can serve others and number three because Jesus did it first. When Peter and John got caught for talking about Jesus, when they suffer, what do they do? They rejoice because they felt worthy to suffer for Jesus. But unfortunately, our comfort is what separates us from the Lord. I heard a story of, um, in China, um, China's controlling religion, and the Catholic Church is growing in in China, and there were, um, and again, but the government is trying to control it, and there was a guy who, uh, you know, they were having mass illegally, right, gathering illegally, and they came to his home and they wanted to, the government wanted him to tell them where the priest was. So he was willing to give his life and not say a word regarding the priest, where the priest was or anything else. He was willing to sacrifice himself. He ended up uh, getting political asylum and coming to the U.S. And all of a sudden, all the things that were important to him were not as important. All of a sudden, um, he got a business and he decided that uh, maybe going to church on Sundays wasn't enough, where before he was willing to give his life to be able to do mass every day. And then he realized that because he had a business that if he opened on Sundays, he could have a little bit more profit. And he said, "Well, maybe not missing church or not going to church is not as important as the profit that I'm making." Let me ask you, have we lost our way because we have just gotten too comfortable and our own comfort is getting in our way? Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. then He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance i believe that that word that scripture is not just for those that don't know jesus christ but i believe that that scripture is for us many of us need to repent many of us need to say lord i am so sorry that i have made everything about myself I am so sorry that I have made everything about the season that I'm in right now. I am so sorry that I have put my comfort in front and before all the people that are suffering. The rich man said, would you please send a warning to my family members that they may repent. Can you hear the voice of the Lord calling you? Can you hear the voice of perhaps those right now that are suffering and perishing saying, please help my loved one. And what we need is not motivation. We just need to be disciplined enough to be in our word and to do what the Lord has called us to do. I'm going to go ahead and close the service. I'm going to go ahead and pray. And I'm not sure where you're at right now. I'm not sure if you feel comfortable where you're at and how you're sharing your faith. I'm not sure if you're comfortable enough knowing that you're doing exactly what the Lord has called you to do. But if you're not I invite you to come before the presence of the Lord and say Lord I'm sorry I'm missing the mark I need to be more disciplined and to find ways to better serve you Heavenly Father I thank you daddy that you give us the opportunity to know you and to know the power of your resurrection and father I am sorry myself I'm sorry father if I am not doing enough I am sorry Lord that I am allowing the cares of the world the business of life the circumstances with my family and everything else that comes against me personally Lord to not do more enough for you Lord I know that you have called me for a purpose for such a time as this Lord And I am sorry that I am not hearing your voice, that I'm not doing the calling that you have put in our heart and our place, Lord. Father, I pray that you will just... Wake us up, Lord, that you would put such a boldness in our hearts, that we will be awakened up with such courage, Father, that we will not no longer keep our mouths closed, Lord, but that we will find opportunities to talk of your goodness, of your kindness, and that that will start generating opportunities for us to be able to play with others, to be able to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Lord. Father, I don't even know how long it's been for some people here Or I don't even know if anybody has ever even led somebody to the Lord. But I pray, Father, that this will change. Because it's not about filling a church, Lord. It's about filling your kingdom, Lord. It's about filling and depopulating hell, Lord. And making people that they may know you and have a life and life more abundantly. So today, Daddy, I just pray that you will just equip us. and you will just give us a boldness, Lord, that will carry us through, Lord. So help us today. We give you praise, Lord. We give you honor in all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Family, I, I really do pray that you just get woken up with that with that um, excitement about being able to share the love of the Lord in Christ. Because oftentimes during our difficulties, during our difficult moments is when the Lord is just setting us up to share the gospel with other people. I, you know, I, And even as I'm saying this, I can just think of, of so many different times and so many opportunities that the Lord has created to share the, the love of Christ. Um, right? Even now, I'm just kind of thinking of a time where my dad um, was having surgery and I had to travel that day for work. And as I was at the airport, I I had to do a commuter flight from somewhere in Texas down to Dallas. And then from Dallas, we're flying to Chicago. And uh, I remember when I was at the terminal, I was having a conference call with the doctor. They were telling me that they were having some complications uh, with the surgery and, you know, that my dad had had some problems. I remember getting on that plane and I was in my seat, had my Bible out, just reading the word. And then there's this lady that sat next to me. And she just started asking me what I was doing. shared that I was reading the Bible. And that flight was maybe 35 minutes long. And 33 minutes later, I was praying with her in a small aircraft, holding her hand and leading her to Christ. Right in the middle of my concern for my father, right in the middle of whatever else was going in my world, in that moment, I I heard the word of the Lord and I heard him that I just needed to pray for that lady and I did. I really don't know what was of that lady. I prayed she accepted the Lord uh, in that plane (laughs) and uh, I gave her a book. Don't know what happened to her. Don't know if she's still walking with the Lord or I have no idea. All that I know is, is that I made a choice that morning, that night and that was to put others before my very need. And I think in that moment, I probably was the one that needed prayer. But I decided that the calling that the Lord had for me in that moment was higher than, than that. So, I just want to encourage you once again. Lead where you are. Don't wait to be perfect. Just allow the Lord to use you right where you are. Hallelujah. God bless you. Praise the Lord. And we will see you next appointed time. God bless.